Re is a podcast brought to you by New Heights Church, a church located in Mission, B.C., focused on being church with mission in mind. We are your hosts, Greg Elford and Jess Steffick, and this is the Re podcast, the prefix that hopes for more than we had before. We acknowledge that we gather, live, play, and worship on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Stolo First Nation. The Re podcast is pressing deeper today into themes related to how the way of Jesus often gets minimized in people's important but sometimes overemphasized quest for truth and life of Jesus. To engage with the topic, we thought we'd try something a little different and have the Chamberlain family, the whole family, join us to ponder together how the way we live can't be disconnected with what is true about a life that God hopes we all have. Ever notice how when someone tells a portion of their story, you pick up on pieces that really make them tick? In this first segment, we invite Matt and Tina to describe how they went from running a successful clothing brand to focusing on meeting teenagers in the hopes of them understanding that God is real and that life can be better in relationship to Jesus. Matt and Tina describe a pre-COVID experience of leading work with Young Life. During COVID, they, like many, have had to tweak some of what's been their norm. All right. Well, thank you, Matt and Tina, for being here and for your time and for your ministry um, that we're going to get into a little bit later. Um, But to start things off, I just want to know, what were the stepping stones um, to the place that you're at right now? Or kind of what happened within you that led you down the path of pursuing a life with working with Young Life? Yeah, I think uh, it started young for me. Uh, I when I became a Christian, I was probably just about a teenager. And early on, I found that I was uh, really passionate about Jesus and about sharing who he was. I mean, I wasn't perfect, obviously, and, and um, messed around with some dumb stuff. But I definitely found that I had this draw towards spiritual things and knowing who God was and knowing who Jesus was. And uh, I remember in high school when you start doing those um, those uh, questionnaires to find out like what you should do for work. Uh, I remember doing those and and I would get like in my top three, I would get clergy or you know like some sort of kind of uh, you know faith based uh, answer on what I should pursue. And then it, it bothered me a little bit because I was like, oh, you know, I don't think that I want to do this for a living. Uh, and then I would even try to skew some of my answers to come up with like a different thing. I want to see like whatever lawyer on there or something. And, uh, and it would keep showing up clergy in my top three to the point where I went into business after uh, we got married for seven years. And I remember we hired this consulting company to come in and do this, um, this big uh, like Myers-Briggs type thing with our whole company. It was like a whole bunch of us that were involved in it. And uh and then they did me last and they said, Hey Matt, can you guess what your like most, uh, what, what career you should be pursuing the most is? And it was clergy again. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is like, I 
<laughs> can't get away from this. Uh, can't get away from this. Now, the thought of being a pastor actually really, really uh, makes me anxious and scary. And I find I have so much respect for anyone that wants to take that position. Um, but then I think the, another, the big stepping stone that helped me move in, the, in this direction towards uh, getting involved in Young Life was I had some older mentors in my life who... Um, I was meeting with before I did Young Life uh, on a regular basis who, who wanted just to read, read the Bible and pray with me every week. And, uh, and I did that for a few years. And I found that the time that I grew the most in my, in my faith was during that time. And I remember when, when things ended with me and, and my business, um, this opportunity of Young Life came along and two of the older people that I was, I was involved with um, encouraged me to apply. And, uh, and I just did it based on their, on their suggestion <clears throat> and their encouragement. And, uh, and then I think that's how I, that's how things really started for me. That's the short version anyway. I uh, was like pregnant when Matt started doing Young Life with Eli and our first leader meeting, I think he was two weeks old and we had all these leaders in our house and it was like trying to recruit leaders and um, get this ministry started in Squamish. And it was like, so for me, <clears throat> I've, I've been a mom since the beginning of it. So um, it's been a really cool time kind of growing in this ministry as a family and seeing our kids grow up in it in that way. And Tina, I just, I'm interested, was like the step for Matt to go into ministry? I'm sure that was kind of just as much a step for you to commit to that kind of life. What was that like for you? Yeah, I think there was a little bit of like, okay, you have to fundraise to have an income. We have a child coming. You've just stopped this business. We're no longer doing this business that was a part of our lives for so long. So the funny thing about that is I'm, I'm generally a person that can be like a real thinker or like to make sure all the T's are crossed in terms of like safety and all that stuff. And I wasn't worried. Like I just had this peace and trust. And I really was like excited about, um, just not doing this new role. I just felt like he, he could do it and we had the right support around us. And I don't know, I just always felt a sense of peace about stepping into ministry. I never doubted it. Cool, that's great, thanks. So Matt, you mentioned that you were part of a business before. I'd love to hear a little bit of the background of what you were doing before you were doing Young Life. When I was young, uh, I, we started, I was always dreaming about starting things, a little bit of an entrepreneur, I would say. And uh, we, I remember my brothers, I have two brothers that are twins and a sister. And um, anyway, the, the, we started a clothing line uh, called Nomis, and we named it after my brother, Simone. Uh, it was his name backwards. And... <clears throat> What happened was uh, Samoan, he was 15 years old, uh, became, he was a, a paid professional snowboarder. So you can imagine from, you know, we're small town people in Ontario. Uh, he became uh, quite famous, like pretty quickly and started winning all the top tier competitions in the snowboard world uh, really fast. Moved to Whistler when he was 17. And uh and because before he was pro, we were already printing printing uh, this brand on clothes, uh, demand started growing uh, fairly high. And, uh, and I was just making 
uh, hoodies and t-shirts and pants and whatever I could make uh, just locally and we'd sell them out of boxes and and um, anyway so a few years went by and then I went to school in uh, college uh, for business uh, sales and marketing and and I remember going through a year and a half of schooling and I get a phone call from a big retailer saying that they were interested in uh, putting in a large order for our, our product and uh, and I had no idea what I was gonna getting myself into really uh, so I, I talked to my professor at school and he said Matt if you have the opportunity to make this a full-time job you're gonna learn so much real quick uh, and if this is your window of opportunity you got to take it so um, yeah so I moved to uh, Whistler and uh, asked Tina to marry me got married and uh and the great well actually no this is before i got married actually so what I had, the funny story is is i was just working in produce at a grocery store in whistler and uh the cheese the dairy guy worked beside me cutting cheese and i remember he got a phone call one day uh, and i was working beside him and he hangs up the phone and he's like matt you're never gonna believe what my friend just told me happened and i was like well what happened he's like my buddy just won 20 million dollars in the lottery and I was like, what the heck? And he's like, he's just like this 27 year old guy. He doesn't, he doesn't even have a license and he's got $20 million and he loves snowboarding and he loves, you know, Whistler life and all this kind of stuff. And I was like crazy. And sure enough, like a month or two before he got that phone call, I asked my dairy friend, Jeremy, to do our graphic design and computer work for our business. He's like, Matt, now that my buddy's a millionaire, let's like tell him about this company we want to start and see if we can get some investment. So I, uh, I actually talked to uh, our pastor uh, at the time, it was Jack Crompton, who's now the mayor of Whistler, which is kind of funny. But his dad was running a big real estate business and gave me a, a financial plan. And we put a financial plan together. And I met with this guy um, who was a millionaire and he was like, yeah, sure. I'll totally, uh, I'll totally invest in you guys. <laughs> I was like, it's crazy. So then at, all through that, mo during that time, I asked Tina to marry me. We got, we got married. And then I remember uh, going on our honeymoon. And when we came back, that was when we officially started our business. We had four employees to start. Uh, and we were just working in a basement in our apartment in Squamish. So the business grew really quickly within um, a few years. Uh, we were selling um, um, uh, $5 million worth of product. And then uh, we outgrew our ability to finance with our, with our, my business partner. And then um, we had all kinds of people trying to help us raise money. They ended up uh, being, one of them ended up being a con artist who was uh, wanted by the Canadian government and so on. But anyway, we got bought by an American company uh, and then we ended up, after we got bought by the American company, we became a $20 million a year business and, um, and just really grew from there, making outerwear and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So uh, it was a lot of fun. We had offices in the States and in Europe, and uh, we were selling all over the world, and I was traveling a lot. And, and uh, anyway, the, the business in the States just started to want to have their own agenda about what we were doing and, and slowly started letting go of all the people that we had hired as, as we called them family. And I remember telling God in the middle of all that, that, uh, that I'm not happy anymore and that I, I need to be, I'm too loyal of a person to quit this. I need to be pulled out of it. And I remember two week, two months later, uh, I got a call from one of the president of the parent company and he said that 
it was time for me to move on. They had a different vision for the brand. And I remember getting off of that phone call and then Tina walking up the stairs telling me that uh, she was pregnant with Eli. And so I got, you know, kind of crazy news that I didn't really, it actually didn't really bother me too much, but because um, I was ready to leave. But the news of Eli coming into our world was, was awesome. Yeah, so that time at Nomis um, ended, uh, but I think that the beautiful thing about all of it is that it really helped springboard uh, me in, in ministry in certain ways. And I think that part of it was learning how to, how to work with uh, a diverse team of people and going after a goal. I think I learned, I learned how to do that um, in the business. And I also, uh, because my, my brothers now were well known in like the team world, um, we had, we had a little bit of a, uh, a cat, not a captive audience, but like a li- we had a listening ear. We had earned the right to be heard, I think, with some of the kids. So when we started Young Life uh, and started doing ministry on the ski hill, for example, or at the skate parks, or um, how, how, how we do Young Life is entering, entering the lives of kids. It was a fairly easy transition, uh, and it really worked well for us. So um, you mentioned kind of how Young Life has a philosophy of entering kids' lives. Can you tell us, just for those of us that have never had any experience with Young Life, kind of what, what it's about? I know, I know it's not something you'd define as a youth group, but it is working with a lot of teenagers. So help us understand the difference. Yeah. Uh, what I like to tell people what Young Life is, is I, uh, I often say that we are a group of people trying to get teenagers to listen to the most amazing message in all the world. <clears throat> and uh, so I think that where Young Life is, I wouldn't even say that Young Life is so much different than other youth ministries. All, like youth ministries all have a lot of similarities. And I think uh, we've each learned from each other as well. Um, where Young Life has kept, I think its core, um, its core way of doing ministry is what I mentioned earlier is that we enter the lives of teens and, and go to where they are and then earn the right to be heard and then share the message of Jesus to them. Um, and that's really worked, uh, for the 85 plus years that Young Life's been around and we haven't strayed from that uh, philosophy of doing ministry. So I think that that's what I really appreciate about, about Young Life, but I don't have a, a sense that we're doing it better than anyone else. It's just the way that we do it. Matt, can you tell us, or, or Tina, maybe some examples of how Young Life is maybe making touch points with people in, in the lower mainland area? Yeah, we encourage leaders who really follow their passions about what, like, do what they're passionate about, but do it with teenagers or do it where teenagers are. So, uh, for example, Wilfred was a volleyball coach last year uh, and coached, you know, the 15 plus guys, and he would consistently be hanging out with them uh, at the high school and taking them to laser tag and skiing and. Uh, Wilford just last week he goes with MSS uh, one the outdoor school outdoor class and they go skiing so he joins them there um, and that's if we have access into the school some leaders don't have access to the school or have more nine to five style jobs so I thinking thinking through like Ben Abercrombie for example loves to just have coffee 
and chat and drive and listen to music. So he picks up Logan and Caden and he, and he literally just drives with them for an hour or so and just has deep conversations with kids. And uh, that's once a relationship has been built, you're able to do those types of things, but you will see young life leaders uh, where teenagers are is kind of how it works. And you just usually do that related to an opportunity that you might have or a passion that you might have. So for me, for example, when I first moved to Abbotsford, the only opportunity that I have what had was to coach uh, the track team at Yale. And I've been doing that for four years now. And then that led to more opportunities in coaching the cross country team and bringing in other leaders and so on. So, um, yeah. So what's your, what's your event, Matt? Like if you're, uh, showing, showing the kids some of your moves, which event in track are you known for? Oh, <laughs> they're all faster than me. They can all jump higher than me. I'm <laughs> Matt came home from the track practice and thought he was going to throw up. It was so funny. He's like, oh my goodness, I don't even know how I can do this. <laughs> Tina, I'm kind of interested. What does your role in Young Life look like? Or how are you involved? Um, I, since the beginning, I've always kind of been in the background support role for Matt. Um, I haven't worked actually like a, a job job since Eli was born. And that's allowed me to have some flexibility and just be home because he has such a crazy schedule with his um, with his work having to be sometimes working weekends or evenings, whenever kids are free. There is some structure to his work in terms of leader meetings and committee commitments and then fundraising. So I'm, I dabble in a lot of the fundraising and banquet preparation and planning. Uh, I've helped with the committee a little bit less since Livia has been born, but where I can, I love to be a part of um, those planning details and also having leaders in our house and making meals for them and getting to know the leaders. Sometimes I've done one-on-ones with uh, some of the leaders. Like I've, I've developed some friendships with a couple of the leader girls or and um, spending time with them. It's a bit trickier now with COVID being involved because we can't have leader meetings in our house, but that's something we love to do and we look forward to doing and um, serving them a meal that's kind of been where I, I participate in yeah and at, at camp like we as it's kind of a cool family dynamic of the families are there but the staff are working and then the rest of the family are kind of taking care of each other while the staff like husbands or wives that are on staff are busy running camp and we sort of help take care of everything together as a family unit we're having the kids down at the lake or you know it's 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 sort of a cool community in that sense. So one of the things that we're trying to do through the month of January is looking at the way of Jesus uh, as opposed to just the truth of Jesus and seeing that there were some predictable patterns in the way Jesus treated people and kind of was connecting with his disciples and larger groups and people that were kind of for his message and then people that knew nothing about it. And just learning some things about some of the instincts he had with people before anything to do with his death or resurrection ever happened. And one of the things that we've uh, noticed in you is that there's predictable patterns in young life that seem to be kind of a, an example of an intentionality that creates a culture and creates some movement. Um, can you talk about some of the predictable ways that Young Life gathers people or gathers leaders or coaches people? I'd love to hear a bit about that. You keep mentioning camp. 
Um, love to hear kind of what that's all about too. Yeah, so some of the predictable patterns that uh, Young Life leaders and what our, our leader or our community, I would say, um, subscribe to, I think would be um, a regular meeting time as leaders where we would check in uh, and see how they're doing on a faith side of things. There's often a meal involved um, and prayer uh, and some goal setting. So we would actually like... Um, create a goal as a team and then work towards uh, that goal. Um, that's for leaders. Um, it's quite a big commitment for leaders. I find uh, young life can be, it can be a bit daunting at times, especially if you don't have relationships with kids right off of the bat. But once you've grown in relationship with kids, a lot of it just um, uh, becomes a lifestyle of, of just doing ministry and it becomes a joy instead of uh, a, a duty um, as a leader. So um, that's on the leader side of things. I think uh, some predict predictable patterns that teenagers would, would see in young life would be uh, doing club ministry, which would resemble a little bit what you would, you would know if you went to youth group um, with just more non-Christian kids in the room and uh, some minor changes, but you would be able to go to something called club, uh, something that we do every week as well as campaigners, which is a group where uh, teenagers who are interested in knowing more about Jesus, more about the Bible, more about um, why I'm a Christian, uh, would get together every week and we would have a more in-depth um, learning about that, discussion about that. <clears throat> and um, so, yeah, and then camp as well, like you said, Greg, uh, is a really, really big uh, focus for us um, since Young Life started, uh, camping excellence has really been like at the core of what we do um, and wanting to give uh, teenagers the best week of their, of their year at, at a property away from their everyday lives. So that's why we have 20, 28 camp properties uh, that kids can choose from in North America. So. Wow. And I've heard a bit about Capernaum. Is that the name of the ministry? I'd love to hear what how that works. Yeah, so uh, what I really do appreciate about Young Life is that we're going after every kid, and we, we, we say that a lot, and we actually mean it. Um, uh, kids with special needs are a real important uh, part of our ministry. Um, we actually took two kids with special needs up snowboarding on uh, Saturday night, actually, one with Mibius syndrome and one with... Um, with autism. And uh, so we have a dedicated person in the ministry that just thinks about how to care for and minister to kids with special needs. Um, and it's a really beautiful, challenging part of the ministry, but it's something that, uh, that we really value. We also do uh, something called skate life. Uh, so um, skateboarders are often overlooked as well uh, in ministry, but we have dedicated people that are just working administering to skateboard kids um cool so to kind of just wrap up this section about your life in ministry with young life um as kind of experts i would say in working with teenager i'm just interested what is key for the church to be thinking about as we work with teenagers moving into adult life in the 2020s what's something that you want the church to know 
Well, I don't think I'm an expert, but uh, <laughs> there's this, uh, there's a verse in the Bible that we often quote, and it's, uh, it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech and conduct and love, faith and purity. And, uh, and when I read that verse, sometimes I, I want to like, I want to, I wish they had a verse that said something like, don't discount yourself because you're older, set an example for believers in speech and conduct and love and in, in faith and purity. Because I think that teenagers are often, um, are seen as like challenging people to deal with and they're, they're scary at times and they're, they seem disinterested uh, and so on. But when I, when I think about a teenager's opportunity to be uh, poured into by an older person, uh, it is so valuable for them. It's so valuable for them. So I'm, I'm a big proponent for um, multi-generational uh, activities and, um, and, you know, congregation type things like small groups having multi-general kind of or multi-generation um, uh, people in it because I think lived experience is so valuable for young people so and they may not want to hear it at first uh, you kind of have to earn the right to be heard I, I think as a as an older person in the church with kids and and then but they are going to listen to you and you're going to have really great things that you're going to be able to say um, say to them so and I think our church has really great examples of it like I think of um, Mike Abercrombie I think of uh, Kim um and I think that when I first went to New Heights, the first person that really uh, I started chatting with and we got along really well, and I think he even engaged me, was Rock Robertson. And, and, uh, and that relationship has actually grown and I've really welcomed him you know, to speak into my life if he, if he needs to and so on. So I think that um, older, older people uh, have so much to give uh, to younger people. Uh, you just have to like, just put in a little bit of the time and uh, kind of fumble through the awkwardness in the beginning stages. But I think over time, uh, you'll see that it'll, it'll bear some fruit. So you'll have some rewards there. In this segment, we invite Eli and Koa and a little bit of their one-year-old sister Liv to weigh in on questions related to how their family really works. What's it like to be the kids at a Rockridge youth camp? And which member of the family is least likely to take a shower or brush their teeth? Their answers might surprise you. Okay, you guys, we thought just to get to know your family a bit and include your kids, we would start off with some rapid fire uh, get to know you questions. So we're going to take turns asking a question and we want you guys to try to all answer at the same time who you think is the most whatever when we ask it. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the first one is who is the cleanest in your family? Me. <laughs> Mom. Oh. Mom, no way, it's not mom. Here are the cleanest. <laughs> Matt likes tidy, tidy too. I think we're the same. I don't know. <laughs> we all have our moments. How about that? Nice. Okay, next question. He's messy. <laughs> okay, well, that's my next question. Who is the grossest? 
Uh, Eli. Eli pointed at himself. Eli doesn't shower. He, uh, <laughs> we have to force him to shower. I like your style, Eli. Okay, so what's the name of the person who likes to be the most spontaneous? So doing things that aren't planned. Uh, Koa? Dad. Uh, Koa's pretty spontaneous. We're all kind of spontaneous, I would say. Tina, maybe not so much. You would think Matt likes to be spontaneous, but he writes more lists than I do. Okay, ah. there you go. So then who likes for there to be order the most? Matt. I, I like order, yes. <laughs> I do. All right, I, I think I might know the answer to this one based on the shower question, but who is the least likely to brush their teeth in one day? Matt. <laughs> 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 and you know what's funny the dentist asks me every time do you use a water pick you must wash your teeth every day and i don't even brush my teeth every day oh uh, now we're getting real i love it i think like a good way to brush your teeth more is wearing a mask and then breathing you get a sense of what your breath smells like so you know i had onions for lunch and realized pretty quickly that i had onions for lunch when i had my mask on well i use the ear loops to floss my teeth too and then just put them back on you know <laughs> All right, next question. Who is the best dancer? Oh, 100% Tina. Yeah, Tina um, and Koa are really great dancers. Livia's a great dancer, but she's not here. Do you have any particular moves that are your signature? Oh, um, I like to do Tina dances like she's in the club. No, you know? what? <laughs> <laughs> I like to dance goofy, and I, and I actually don't like to dance that often, but if I do dance, it has to be silly. I like it. I like that we got a little preview, Koa. That's great. Okay, so who, if somebody's really sad, who has the biggest heart for people that are sad? Oh, Eli. Eli. Eli has a big heart. Very, very, like, very considerate of his friends. Oh, that's awesome, Eli. I love that. You probably get it from the rest of your family too, but that's cool that they think of you as someone who really cares about people. All right, so Eli and Koa, this question is for you. How would you explain what your parents do or what would you say young life is all about? Craziness. Can you expand on that? <laughs> Teaching teenagers about loving god and jesus cool how do the how have you seen uh young life in action is there anywhere where you've got to see your mom and dad or your dad um doing things where kids are learning about god mm. yeah camp koa do you like going to camp do you like going up to rock ridge what's that like i love it out there What's cool about Rockridge? That's always sunny, some, but when it's winter, it's snowy. Watch. So when you go there in the summer, what's your favorite thing to do at Rockridge, Koa? Go to the lake. Go in the lake. Cool. Um, go kayaking. Fun. Oh yeah. Oh man, I want to come someday. And how about you, Eli? What's your favorite thing to do when you go to the big Young Life camp in Princeton? It's probably paddleboarding or kayaking. 
Yeah. Oh, and catching snakes. <laughs> oh, oh man. So Eli, do you think that when you're a teenager, you're going to want to go and bring some of your friends to Rockridge? Yeah. How come? Why do you think your friends will like Rockridge? Because that place is like awesome. Yeah. And is it a is it a cool group of people? Like when you're all hanging out, do they seem to have fun together? Yeah. Cool. All right, Eli and Koa, one more question for you. We're wondering, what is your favorite thing about Jesus? Maybe something that you've learned from your parents or maybe you read in a story. But what would you say your favorite thing about Jesus is? He heals people. Yeah. Awesome. That's a great one, Koa. That he died on the cross to um, take away our sins. Very cool. Oh, good answer, Eli. Thank you guys so much, Eli and Koa. You are our youngest guests ever on our podcast. And so it's pretty cool that you, we got to do this with you. Thanks for being up for it, fellas. To close us off, we dig deeper with Matt and Tina on reflections that they're maturing into these days. We're asking, how does intentionality around the way we live earn so much needed credibility before the words we speak hold water? So something that we're trying to dig into as a church community this month is the way of Jesus and kind of drawing that from um, the verse where it talks about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and this month we're emphasizing the way part, not to say that the truth and the life aren't important, um, but we just find that often that that truth and life part gets overemphasized. And so maybe the day-to-day -day life, the nitty-gritty, hands-and-feet part of Jesus's life, I guess the way of Jesus, sometimes gets lost. Um, so that's what we're focusing on this month. So Matt and Tina, something we want to ask you today is, um, what are some of the things in the way of Jesus or the way that Jesus lived his life that stick out to you? Maybe something you want to imitate or something that has stuck with you kind of over your life as a Christian. I think something that I've always been um, personally challenged with in terms of um, my, my way versus Jesus' way is his compassion. And I'm not saying I'm not a compassionate person, but the way he does, he's compassionate towards others is like um, above and beyond something that I, I sometimes think I'm capable of, but it's something that I, I do want to imitate. And I, I was just thinking about how we can get into our own little bubbles. We can be sort of self-focused, focused on our family and our children and our husband. And it's good like to be compassionate, but Jesus was like looking to the crowd and being compassionate towards a larger community. And, um, I think he calls us to be open to that as well. So not having our eyes always in our little bubble, but to kind of think about outside of that bubble and being compassionate towards those. And, and I find that can be challenging sometimes. It makes it uncomfortable sometimes. Um, or you, you, I don't know, like I had a situation recently and I was telling that maybe I won't share this, but I think I'll share a little bit. I had this lady on my lawn and I was, like, because I've been really thinking about Jesus' compassion, I was like, 
I'm going to just like, hello, do you need help? Like, why are you on my lawn? <laughs> you know, do you, what do you want? It was like eight in the morning. She's on my lawn looking oddly. We have this little snack shack kind of like lemonade stand thing on her lawn. And she was like looking in it. And I thought, what are you doing? And she, I think had been, she's like, oh, hi, I'm, uh, uh. and I was like, do you need help? And she's like, yeah, can you call me? Do you know where the street is? Can you call me a cab? And I was like, uh, just a minute. And I'm like, Matt, like, there's a person on our lawn, like what? Okay, I should like, I should do this, I got it. So I actually like, didn't think twice. I invited her into the house. I was like, I'll call you a cab. And I, but like, I was like, would I have done that? Cause you could easily be kind of be fearful in those situations. Like who is this stranger? Um, I don't know her situation, but my heart was like, I think I should call this person a cab. She's obviously cold, she's lost. She's probably been out all night looking. Like she just, she didn't have a phone. And I thought, I'm not trying to like praise myself, but I was like, that's a God. Like, I hope that that's because of my relationship with Jesus, the way that I see how he lives out, that that would be why I would choose to let this person enter my house and wait and call a cab for them. Then just be like, oh, yeah, I don't know where you're going. See you like, don't get off my lawn, you know? So I think that's something that God's and like Jesus is trying to work through. Cause I think I probably would have been someone if I didn't have Jesus in my life that might've ignored the fact that there was someone kind of snooping around on my lawn I would have closed the blinds and been like I'll just let that person be yeah no I think it's a great example and like one that we probably all would have to be careful how we'd respond because some natural reactions probably wouldn't be the same in the way of Jesus it's for sure I think there needs to be some street smarts in certain situations you don't just like but I, I, I don't know, I didn't have any, my gut was like, this person's cold, they need a, they need a taxi, like, that's harmless, let's let them come in and wait for a taxi, like, but, um, yeah, I, I think trusting that Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, that he can help you live that out, like, and to me, compassion has been a big one that I think I strive to, but sometimes it's been challenging. Yeah, and what I kind of hear you saying is that you step, because of uh, uh, being conscious of somebody and the pain they might be in, you were willing to step beyond what might be like a normal way a person would respond in that situation and see like a human being that um, that maybe needs some support or needs someone to come alongside. And I think there's a theme in the way of Jesus for sure where he definitely had a, a way of operating that was not mainstream, that he seemed to be operating in the way he treated people, the way that he engaged with folks everyone else ignored, um, and the way that he invested in a few guys, like to the point of saying, come and see absolutely everything I do, walk around and follow me as closely as you can. Like, yeah, I'm curious, are there, are there other ways that that connects for you? Yeah, like I feel like we've always wanted to have an open door uh, community feel home. And, and um, I think that's reflective of us wanting to live in the way of Jesus too. It's just like, we don't, um, yeah, we want people to feel at home with us, I guess. And I think that's what Jesus was like to people. They felt comfortable in his presence. And, and I would hope that people would feel comfortable in our presence as a you know, whether we're doing Young Life or anything, like just as a community member, we want to have a relationship with people that makes them feel safe and welcome. 
Matt, how about you? What would you say is something in the way of Jesus that really sticks with you? Yeah, uh, I like the, the, I think the contrast uh, that Jesus would have had. I love uh, envisioning him with kids. Uh, and I love seeing his, the, the playful side, the fun side, the caring, compassionate side of Jesus. But then I love also that Jesus can set a room straight or set you straight when you need to be told that you're not doing the right thing or that, you know, that, uh, like he knows what's best, you know, and I love it. I love seeing that in others as well. And I, I like just be, having those, those two sides to Jesus, I think is really important. Um, so the way that he can, that he can really care for us in a loving embraceful way, but also care for us in a, in a way when we need to be, um, I don't even know what, what would be the right word to use, but uh, um, yeah, like he sees the better, the, he sees the, the best version of us, right? So <clears throat> in a correcting way, correcting <laughs> way, yeah, but I don't want to make it seem like Jesus is just like, just shutting you down all the time because you're just not, you're not perfect. Okay, so I'm just curious, uh, as you're thinking about this, and maybe as a couple, as you're thinking about how it plays out in your life and we certainly see it happening in the way you're connecting with folks but I'm curious how you would answer this question that we feel a bit challenging sometimes but what would you say to someone who thinks that um, we should just skip the lifestyle of Jesus because it doesn't really matter um, we don't need to read kind of the opening chapters of the gospels because we just should just skip all that get to the point of where he dies for our sins because that's really what matters. And the stuff before that is just kind of a, an annoying prelude or something. How would you, how would you help people understand um, that um, the, the chapters leading up to the climax of what happened in human history, I guess, um, has something that also teaches us about, um, or maybe even reinforces what happened in the climax? I'm curious. I think what I would say to them is like, do you ever watch, start watching a movie at the end and then reverse it and then go back to the start, you know? So I think that, um, I think the, 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 the beginning part of the gospels really help um, give us context to what he did in the end, but with dying for our sins. So um, I think it, it is uh, it is important and it really kind of rounds out the message and really fills the message and makes it more meaningful, more impactful. Um, I feel like it also goes back to the truth aspect is if you need to see how Jesus lived out his ministry to trust his character, to understand the truth behind his act of die on the cross i i just think that like if you don't have a relationship with his character then the, him dying on the cross maybe has no impact in some ways you know like, or less of an impact obviously we all want to be saved in a sense we love the idea of going to heaven and but do you want to go to heaven and hang out with jesus like i think about that often it's like do i want to go to heaven because i just want to live forever that's not what it's all about. Like it is a part of it, but it's like, there's a, there's understanding the character of Jesus and, and falling in love with 
who he is and allowing him to show you him and and he's pointing to god like the kingdom um it's so all-encompassing i just don't think you could ever miss out on or it would never be wrong to share the beginning parts of his life to get to that point of of sharing his death like it yeah context to me is a big part of it understanding jesus heart and what his relationship is about with you and that really makes me think of um kind of that now and not yet concept of you know the kingdom of heaven and thinking about you know, the way of jesus is actually maybe kind of a, a touch point of heaven on earth and actually living into more of a kingdom reality not just in the future after death but it's actually something that we can access now. That's something that kind of what you're saying is making me think of. So yeah, thanks for that. Well, he's real. <laughs> he still exists, right? Jesus is real in our lives. Um, he's as real as he was then. We may not have his physical body right in front of us, but he is real. Like I think, yeah, that resonates. Awesome. I'd love to ask you guys that as parents, when you're sitting down and thinking about how you're raising your kids, um, and you kind of think about the way that Jesus operated, how does that uh, example of the way Jesus in human flesh walked around and treated people and uh, had power moving through him and so forth, do you think that is, is connected to the way you think about parenting at all and teaching your kids to live in this way? I feel like we're learning. I feel like I'm learning slash failing and learning, failing and learning in some ways when it comes to raising kids. I'm not, I'm not, my kids are great. Um, uh, as the Christian parents, I do like, I do think about, am I, should I be sitting and reading the Bible all the time with them? You know, there's those things where it's like, what are, what are, what is expected? It takes a lot of grace for ourselves. I think when we have a relationship with Jesus, I hope that it's shining out in the way that we parent, but we're human. And so um, we don't always get it perfect. And I think showing humility to your kids, saying sorry when you're like yelled too loud um, or when you're frustrated, I am always praying for patience when I'm frustrated or tired and they're not listening, that kind of thing. But then also, um, and how we treat others and the expectations we have about how they treat others and talking about that and, and not allowing for them to treat others disrespectfully or unkindly. I mean, I think that goes in Christian and non-Christian families, but I, I would hope that they see us, um, uh, how would they see Jesus through us? <laughs> um, I just think it comes with the humility aspect, I guess. It, it's like we we know we're not perfect, yet we are um, forgiven. And Christ calls us to forgive each other. And we ask the brother, the boys to forgive each other regularly when they are not getting along. And um, we, we bring God into those conversations, right? Like this is not, this is they grew they've been growing up going to church and sunday school so they have um that support and we love having the support of a community around them and other adults and other people that can help us along this way but yeah we sometimes talk about how um the impact being in ministry has as us as a couple 
on young people too. Like, what does our marriage look like to the leaders? What does our family life look like to the, to the leaders? And how can we live out um, truth in our like walk with Christ and, and be genuine and, you know, honest and, and also healthy in how we represent a healthy marriage and family life, I guess. We think about how we have an impact about that on those in our lives, like leaders and young people, so. Well, thanks so much, Matt and Tina, and please thank your kids for us. We so appreciate you opening up your lives a bit to us and explaining how you got wrapped up in young life, and we're so glad that that happened, and we're so glad you'd share the story with us. Thank you to our silent sponsor and our very supportive church community, and of course, young Ovi Elford for putting together the music that backs our voices. This has been episode eight of the Re Podcast, the prefix that hopes for more than we had before. <laughs>